This is Closer to the Fire from the Voice of the Martyrs Canada, with a focus on the persecuted church around the world. I'm Greg Musselman. He was known as Brother Andrew and had the nickname God's Smuggler. Andrew Vanderbeil was a Dutch Christian missionary known for smuggling Bibles into communist countries at the height of the Cold War. And he would pray, Lord, make seeing eyes blind when he was stopped at the border of a communist country for his car to be inspected. And many of you remember that famous Volkswagen. Brother Andrew started an international ministry in 1955 called Open Doors to support persecuted Christians around the world. Brother Andrew is a real hero of the faith, and I know we might throw that around, but in this case, truly amazing man, and uh, he inspired so many people. He was a friend of suffering Christians, and he passed away on September 27th at the age of 94 after living an amazing life. Joining me to talk about the life and legacy of Brother Andrew is Paul Estabrooks, a longtime colleague and friend of Andrew. Paul served for 38 years with Open Doors, first founding director at Open Doors Canada, and then later Open Doors International. Paul has written a number of books related to the persecuted church, including Night of a Million Miracles, the inside story of Project Pearl, Standing Through the Storm with his good friend Jim Cunningham, a book that has been taught all over the world and translated into many languages, and also Escape from North Korea. Paul, thank you for joining me on Closer to the Fire. Always good to be with you, Greg. Andrew, I mean, he was a legend. He was so well-respected. I guess from a personal standpoint, Paul, when you heard that Andrew had passed away, and I know that he had been in ill health, but still, uh, it still has to hit you pretty hard. Yes, because he was such a fixture in the organization. I mean, he was the founder. He was the visionary. Uh, he actually started as a one-man team uh, and and ended up with a, an entire organization working worldwide. Now, of probably about a thousand people that are involved in some way or other. Uh, so you know, he and he was always looked to as the visionary and the the man who was to inspire the rest of us to really work for those who are persecuted. And he was, uh, uh, you know, he was a fiery man in some ways, but he was also a gentleman as well. And, you know, so when, you know, I heard him speak, of course, and, you know, as many videos, and I would encourage people to, you know, listen to Andrew. Now that I have come of age, more and more people ask, Andrew, what do you want written on your tombstone? I have options. One of them sounds very pious. He's not here, he's risen. Or another option is, he did what he couldn't. Or, like Oswald Chambers' gravestone, I visited that graveyard in Zaytun in Egypt. Oswald Chambers, a disciple of Jesus Christ. That gives glory to God, a disciple of Jesus Christ. Is there any further explanation needed? Is it a greater honor than to be called a disciple of Jesus Christ? And he just sort of had that balance between this warrior and this very gentle man. Yes, he did. He did. He had uh, several sides, and you got to know them uh, as you spent time with him. Uh, he, he, he would uh, focus on you. He had that gift that we often share with people is the, the way to develop relationships and when you're talking to somebody focus on them and forget everything else and he he's the kind of guy i just was talking with a lady from down east uh, from new brunswick 
on um, on our on the internet recently, and she was saying, you know, I I bothered Brother Andrew at a time when he was going to have a nap, and this was in his older years, and and he gave up his nap in order to talk to me. Wow. She said, and it was such it was. She said I was so impressed with with his willingness to live for other people. When you look at, uh, you know, Andrew, and and I know God Smuggler is one of those books where he shares his journey, you know, as a child, and then, you know, coming to faith in Jesus, and then getting involved with the persecuted church. And, and I know that he would not have really could have comprehended how God would use him in such a powerful way. And, you know, with offices all around the world, and the thousands or millions of persecuted Christians that have been touched through open doors. But it all started in 1955. He takes a trip to communist Poland to just see how his brothers and sisters are doing. Yeah. Yes, he had an interesting spiritual journey. He was born, of course, in 1928, just, and uh, he was a young boy, like a young teenager, very young teenager during World War II. And of course, that was what I think started his adventurous nature because he joined the underground and as a kid, like he'd ride his bicycle and take messages here and there uh, and do every kind of thing they could to frustrate uh, the German occupiers during in Holland where he lived during the war. And that, that kind of started that adventurousness. And then he joined the army. Then he decided the best way he could have some adventures, join the Dutch army, went to Indonesia and got injured there. And on his hospital bed, these uh, Franciscan sisters uh, nursed him. And Mm. he was so impressed by their love and care. And one day he asked them about what gives you so much joy? How come you're happy all the time? And they said, well, it's like that book your mother gave you that's just sitting at the side of your bed that you've never read. You know, you need to read that book. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so he started reading it, and that was that was it. I mean, he'd grown up in a Christian family, but he, he said it was, his life was all about Andrew. It's all about me, and that's, that's the issue we all deal with. And finally, he came to a point one night when he was reading in the New Testament for the first time, after reading all four Gospels, he just said, he just said, God, um, not my will, but yours be done. I'm, I'm going to give up this ego of mine, and I just want to be yours. And so that was, that was just like for many of us, that was his change in, in his life. And he, he went and spent a year at a Bible college up in Scotland, mm-hmm. and that was where he was. Uh, when he saw the notice that there was a youth rally going on in Warsaw, Poland, uh, and it was a communist youth rally, and he just had this leading of the spirit to say, I need to be there. I need to go to that. And he got on a train with a bunch of others from Holland who were heading toward this uh, this conference of young people, and he, he saw young people marching to a different drummer. Uh, you know, he, that was how he felt about it. They had red flags and they're all marching. And uh, he realized that something was beginning to change in Europe after, after the war. Uh, he also went to the Bible Society, which was his first logical place to go in Poland, to find out that they didn't have any Bibles left. There was nothing there. And then he went to the Baptist church. Uh, in 2015, I took a tour of people to on um, following the footsteps of Brother Andrew's first trip. 
and I met, we went to that Baptist church wow, where he cool. went and met the current pastor, who was very interesting. Uh, but then he found out they didn't have any Bibles, and so that, that was the whole beginning. He, he, he didn't go with the anticipation that he'd later become known as God's smuggler. Uh, he simply went as the Spirit led him, and then saw the need and the need was for God's word. And so that began a process uh, that, that later developed into his just going all over Eastern Europe and into the Soviet Union, uh, taking Bibles in that little Volkswagen. Yeah. yeah. He told me once that he drove that wagon, that Volkswagen, 100,000 clicks or kilometers mm. before he changed the oil. He had no idea that you had to change oil. On the wow. Oil. <laughs> wow. He said, I drove that thing 100,000 kilometers. And, uh, you know, he, he was... He was naive in some ways, but that's, that little buggy got him around. It was a gift from one of his donors uh, oh. in, in Holland. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's an amazing guy. And, you know, and I don't know about you, Paul, but I've kind of prayed the Brother Andrew prayer. You know, mm-hmm. for me, it's, you know, video equipment and that, you know, they when you're going through that, they, you know, they'll kind of ignore things or, or of course, we brought Bibles in and other things and you know, supplies that we're not supposed to be doing because, you know, we get in trouble maybe from the authorities. But Andrew, of course, we, by bringing in Bible smuggling them in, he wasn't supposed to be doing that. But there was such a simple faith that he had. And was that, was that, was that the case with Andrew through the rest of his life, the way that he, I mean, he was a man of strong faith, but he just seemed to have that, you know, faith of a child that he believed these things. Exactly. Uh, And that was his, that was his op- life's operation. And, and it basically came from his commitment to scripture. Uh, one of the key things about Brother Andrew, he was an early riser. He was, not, he was a morning person. And uh, so in the mornings, he would be up early always, no matter what time he went to bed at night, even if it was late. And he would start his day with chapters, not just verses, but chapters and chapters of scripture all all through just going over and over again he he was just soaking himself in scripture and i think that's what that's what develops that kind of uh, childlike faith you know you realize uh, who is really in charge of this world right and uh, you're committing yourself to serve him and to be the kind of person that he wants you to be and uh, so he developed that, and that, that is a childlike prayer. I mean, he, he sat in that car on the, the scariest day of entry for him, Thank and he all. just said, Lord Jesus, when you were on earth, you made, see, you made blind eyes to see. Now, I'm, I've got Bibles in this car that I've got to get across this border to your children. And so as I go across this border, <laughs> I need you to make seeing eyes blind please don't let them see these scriptures and of course god answered that prayer that day for him and that prayer became the modus operandi for for many people not just open doors guys but oh we've we've all prayed that i I remember once going into vietnam with a bible with a suitcase just jammed full of tribal christian literature and that's what they didn't want there. I mean, Bibles, yes, no, they wouldn't, you know, if they found them, they'd take them. But 
it was considered almost uh, treasonous to be carrying tribal literature because it was the tribal people who sided with the Americans during the uh, Vietnam War. And uh, even though it was Christian material, the authorities did not like that. And I remember praying that prayer, oh, Lord, because everybody ahead of me, their banks were just being searched, you know, completely. And I'm going, whoa, if this happens to me, I'm toast. (laughs) It's amazing how we pray at those times, Paul, like the desperate, okay, Lord, help. That's right. Well, I wasn't doing this for adventure. Uh, you know, I was just committed to to helping these Christians who def you know who really needed this material, and um, and God knows that. So he he's been faithful through the years with many people who've prayed that very special prayer. Yeah, it's uh, so so inspiring. You know, this young man in his Volkswagen. 100,000 kilometers and not changing oil. I'm surprised the thing wasn't smoking everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe right. that's what distracted them well, from not looking in the car. There's, But, uh, <laughs> but Paul, how did it then? Like, so the, the passion then was to bring the word of God, uh, you know, into these communist countries, Poland, and then it goes beyond. Uh, when was there then the switch when he started to want to do more in terms of helping the persecuted church because i know one of the the verses yeah. that uh, that andrew would often quote uh, from revelation 3 2 wake up strengthen what re- is you know remains and is about to die so how did it yeah. then shift from bringing bibles in to then you know getting involved in training and some of the other things that open doors is known yeah. for well that developed with time and uh, association with people that uh, he was ministering to so that, that scripture verse came the very first trip in Poland, um, you know, that that was God wanted him to do. So as he began to meet with, with Christians who were persecuted or who hadn't, at least the ones that he was first meeting were those, the beginning was that they were, they had no Bibles and they were just desperate to get some and asked him to do that. So when you meet with them, then, you know, then once you take them Bibles, they may say to you, well, you know, we, we don't have any hymn books here in our church. Hmm. And if there's any way that you could somehow get us some hymn books, that would be wonderful. And, you know, and other train, you know, other training materials. And um, then he began to travel uh, his earliest travels internationally. Uh, some of them were with Corey Ten Boom, who was a very yeah. close friend of his. They went to Vietnam together, for example, uh, before the Vietnam War, and or at least during, I suppose, the earliest years of it. And uh, they they began to meet Christians who had you know different needs. And as he traveled, uh, he began to realize that that you know there was even more needed than just scripture. Uh, he was committed at first and for years, in fact, up, up until probably 1990, the primary, primary ministry of Open Doors was providing Bibles. Um, and in the 80s, we did some really large projects, the Million Bibles to China. Um, then there were many to Latin America in the 1985 and by 88, 89, he was doing a million into the Soviet Union when things were just starting to collapse there. Uh, and, uh, but as, as he met with other Christians in these areas, they began to share with him that there was, they needed more than just scriptures. 
and training became one of the very significant ones, uh, right. especially in China. So once you provide all these Bibles for Christians in areas where they didn't have them, then they're saying, well, we don't have leaders and we need trained leaders. Uh, so that became then a second focus uh, of development. And, and from there, it just, it, you know, as we got into the Muslim world, uh, like you guys in Voice of the Martyrs did as well in the 90s, uh, we began to realize that even socioeconomic development projects were needed. The, these right. Christians who were isolated had no way of, you know, providing for themselves. And so, you know, the, these little, little projects of helping them get started in a business or whatever was a major help to Christians in isolated areas. Uh, and so all of these different projects began to develop over time. And I think the thing, Paul, and we have it at Voice of the Martyrs with Richard Wormbrand, Richard and Sabina, and then Brother Andrew with Open Doors. And a lot of organizations, churches, denominations over time can lose kind of the, the vision, you know, of the founder, but that certainly was not the case with Open Doors. Why do you think that was? No. And even as Brother Andrew got into his 80s and then even into his 90s, and there's a lot of people that are working for Open Doors. We have it same with Voice of the Martyrs. You know, most of our people have, didn't meet the Worm Brands and many didn't at Open Doors meet Brother Andrew. But why has that vision been able to stay so strong even till today? Well, I think it's it's part of the DNA of the organization, and the those who followed Andrew uh, were committed to that vision as well. One of the earliest in Open Doors was a, a man named Dr. Ed Netland from California. Uh, he was a brilliant, brilliant man, a great Bible teacher. He was the one who really championed uh, Project Pearl, the Million Bibles China, in inside the organization. He really pushed that project, and, and uh, he was the one who who God gave the verse uh, Jeremiah thirty three three, which which says, "Call to me, and I will show you great and wonderful things you do not know." And he said, "We don't know how to do a million Bibles into China, but God does, yeah. and if we ask Him, He will show us how to do it." Uh, but Doctor Netlin was, um, uh, you know, well-educated, a brilliant man, and he set up the vision statement. We, he, he helped Brother Andrew literally create a vision statement that would succinctly state what it is we exist to do, you know, who we are, why we are uh, uh, individual ministry, and that that vision statement has hardly changed since since it was created in the 1970s. And it still is the vision statement. And so yeah. when, you have, when you have that identified, then you have the history of first Brother Andrew, then his teams, then, then the whole organization following that vision statement. It, it helps to keep on track. Well, and it certainly has. And, you know, there, again, there's some overlap between Open Doors and uh, the voice of the martyrs, uh, you know, tortured for Christ. Richard Wormbrand wrote about his, you know, 14 years in prison in Romania, many of those years in solitary confinement. So that's, you know, in the mid 60s and 1967, a God smuggler by Brother Andrew came out. And I think, I don't know how many millions of copies 
I think by 2002, I was just looking the other day and there was over 10 million. So I'm sure it's gone way past that. But what is it about those two guys, Richard Wormbrand and Brother Andrew, and those particular books, they've been translated into so many languages and are still being used to inspire people today? Yeah. Well, I think they show, first of all, a person who is totally committed to follow God in whatever God directs them to do. Um, I mean, Richard suffered through incredible prison experiences, but, you know, those, those uh, are not all negative. I mean, I, you, very frankly, some of the best Christian books I've read are prison biographies. I mean, I just think of the recent, more recently, the two gals in Iran who spent a year in Evan prison. Yeah. And their story is just inspiring. It was not fun. It was, it was a difficult time for them. But, but their story is amazing. Then you have even more currently Andrew Brunson, who was in prison in Turkey. Andrew's just written his book. And I mean, those books, I think, are just so stimulating to Christians. Because first of all, we, we haven't experienced that, and we don't ever really expect to. But at the same time, it just shows how God ministers and, and, and helps people in those very difficult circumstances. So you have the character of the man himself. I mean, both those men were real men of God, and they're committed to serve God. Then they have, uh, in each case, they have a unique story, a story mm-hmm. that isn't normal, what we would call normal. Uh, um, you know, Richard, you know, being a pastor, going to prison, you know, finally getting out of the country and, you know, and, and then, but still wanting to minister to those who are in that situation was, was unique. And, and Andrew was just kind of a unique guy. So the, their stories are based on their life and on the uniqueness of how God used them. And I think that's what really captures and makes a good book and mm-hmm. captures people's imaginations. And I mean, so many people wanted to, to join Brother Andrew when they read his book and what he would say to them. This was during Cold War years. He would say, okay, you meet me on Red Square in Moscow, and I'll talk to you about what you can do to help us. <laughs> and so it was like yeah, that's how that you was, weed them out, right? <laughs> that's right. That's that's how you weed them out. Yeah, and the he ones was, that do show up are serious. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, well, there's a there's a guy that I read uh, all the time, and he was imprisoned, uh, named the Apostle Paul, and uh, so it kind of started there, and you know these. Along the way, yeah. you know, these these stories of those that have been imprisoned or suffered uh, or even going for it, you know, in terms of uh, Andrew. And that's something that is his, you know, his legacy. So what do you think he will be remembered for, Paul? I mean, there's so many things I know. And, you know, in a short podcast, we can't get to all of them. But what, what are if you were to pick two or three things, say, this is what Brother Andrew will be remembered for. This is his legacy and what he would like to be remembered for as well. Well, I think first of all would be his love of the Bible himself mm-hmm. in his own personal life. He was very much uh, captivated by Scripture and so thankful that God had given him this this revelation of himself to the world, and he would s- soak in it and then share it with other people, and then actually want to share the book because if if it blessed me this much, how much more will it bless others? So. 
I think uh, God's word would be one of them. And second, second thing I think he'd want to be for was his his radical commitment to Jesus Christ. Hmm. And he didn't even think it was radical. I mean, I think he was very radical. But when, you know, for example, David Platt was a pastor at, at the time down in the South, and he wrote his first book of uh, at least 10 years or 12 years ago called Radical. Mm-hmm. What happened was he was, uh, he hadn't, he hadn't chosen his title yet. And, uh, he was meeting with a man named Celie Yates, who was an agent, a literary agent for most of those well-known pastors in the U.S. And Celie happened to be the chairman of the board of Open Doors International. And he went to visit David Platt just before the book was going to be finished. And he said, can you excuse me for a minute? I have to make a phone call to Brother Andrew in Holland. And David said, oh, I'd love to talk to him when you're done. Could you let me talk with him? And Mm. David said, yeah. Or Celie said, yeah. So David Platt talks with Brother Andrew, and he he asks him a question. He says, if you were to live your life again, what would you do differently? And and, and, uh, Andrew said, oh, I would be much more radical. He (laughs) (laughs) He said, not fanatical, not fanatical but radical. And uh, David was so impressed with that. He named, he titled his book radical, you know, the countercultural living uh, in, in even in North America. So Andrew uh, was, he was radical, uh, but he was also a a warm human being. He Mm -hmm. was a family man, even though he traveled so much. I mean, in his early years, he was hardly home. And his poor wife, Corey, had to raise the five kids. They had five kids. And um, those kids are all following Jesus. They all live in in Andrew's hometown in Holland. They have a total of about a dozen grandchildren among them for him. And he had the most beautiful experience of living walking distance from all the homes of his grandchildren. I mean, those grandkids could just walk over to grandpa's anytime they wanted to, and he would encourage them to anytime they wanted to. And so, you know, so unbeknownst to the world who saw him as this great leader and this radical, you know, man for Jesus, he was very much a regular guy and, and a family man as well. And uh, his family were, were very important to him. And, and um, one of his girls was a nurse in Afghanistan when it wasn't, uh, wasn't easy to be a missionary in Afghanistan. Uh, and, and another son was down in Liberia in Africa as a missionary and then in Thailand. So they, you know, his, his, he, he didn't want the children to be uh, successors of him in the organization. He, he didn't like those that idea. He just wanted them to be radical followers of Jesus as well. Yeah, and I mean, he, his family just is, is, is probably his greatest legacy uh, in the next to his relationship with Jesus. As you mentioned, Paul, he loved the Bible, and, and you're a part of that legacy as well. And, and all those, Gary Stagg, who's now the current uh, director of Open Doors Canada and the staff and some of them I know and, and have met and, yeah. and they just they love the Lord and it's it's that influence and I know at Voice of the Martyrs with Richard Wormbrand and just trying to be faithful we can't be them but there's so many examples in Andrew's life just the way he was such a family man that is a, I think a great reminder 
uh, for, you know, for myself. And even as we've gotten older, uh, you know, still many opportunities to travel, but family is so important. And it was to him. And, and I think that's what kept him uh, just so focused on the things that really mattered. And uh, his, his faith was simple. And I mean that in the most positive way. And yet, yeah. as you mentioned, it was radical. What are you going to miss most about him, uh, Paul? Because he was not only your colleague, but he was a longtime friend. Uh, he was an encourager. And what I'm going to miss are the little notes uh, that he would, he would write and send. He, was, he had never, ever used a typewriter. What? So everything wow. he did, <laughs> he did by longhand writing. That was his generation. And he never wanted to use a computer. So um, everything we ever got from him personally were notes. I was just saying to Diane yesterday, I got to find that file I have now of all these little notes that Brother Andrew sent me over the years because they were very special. And he, he was an encourager. That, that was another one of his gifts. So he, he would send a note. You know, for example, when I wrote a, the, one of my later books called, uh, it was a devotional, 365 days uh, based on stories from the persecuted church, daily mm -hmm. devotions from the lions. Yeah, 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 I have a copy. He, yeah. he, wrote, he, he got a copy sent to him and he wrote me a note and said, next year, it was the end of a year when he wrote this. And he said, next year, my devotional book is devotions from the lion's den he says the only one yours you know what if he needed wow he was that kind of guy like he was just always encouraging it uh, and those notes are, are what i will miss not receiving anymore yeah he was uh, again what a what a wonderful guy and i'm going to have you back on uh, closer to the fire paul because i want to talk about some of the writings that you've had but uh and again, we talked some of the ones off the top of the program that uh, that you've already written, but you you've got a new project. So I just and, and I know it's not finished yet. So when it's finished, we'll have you back on here. We'll have you on 100 Huntley Street. But okay. uh, just just give me a little preview what we could be looking forward to from the next book coming from Paul Estabrooks. Well, the next book is titled Living Like a Lamb. And mm -hmm. um, it's, of course, following the lamb. Uh, that's, you know, the, the Lord Jesus was called the Lamb of God throughout the book. When John, when uh, uh, John the Baptist introduced him in John's gospel, as recorded early, the behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So uh, all through scripture, Jesus is the Lamb. And so then when he sent out 72 disciples on a mission trip, he said, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. And um, I see challenges in our society today mm -hmm. against those of us who follow Jesus. But, but here's my sadness. I see angry, angry people responding to these challenges. You know, you, you read Twitter and you read Facebook and you read, you know, these um, social media. Yeah. Uh, somehow we've lost the grace. I mean, Jesus was described by John in the first chapter as full of grace and mm, truth. Truth, yeah. We, we Christians in North America tend to really focus on truth. We want the truth, and we live in a post-truth society. Yeah. But it, it also says grace. I mean, the balance of life, it's grace and truth. So my subtitle is the ba Balancing Grace and Truth. And so that's, what, that's what's uh, coming out. Yeah, trying to balance that, you know, between, you know, love 
and God's holiness and truth and grace. It's not an easy, you know, to try to do those things, but uh, that's what God has called us to do. And, and Jesus was the example. And it's not always easy. I was talking with, uh, you know, pretty well-known author, John Eldridge, and he was just talking about the the anger and the fear that people have, even coming out of COVID and so many followers of Jesus, uh, you know, falling away. I mean, these are very yeah. difficult times, Paul, but uh, we do have the scripture. And and I so appreciate, uh, you know, the book you're working on and looking forward to that because, you know, we are at a time where we're getting in that defensive mode, uh, you know, because we see the things that are being pushed against us and, you know, our culture has gone away from the Bible and even to believe the Bible, you've got to be, you know, a racist or whatever. So it's, these are difficult times, but are they exciting times as well though, Paul, do you think? Because, yes. you know, God is working. There's no question about that. Absolutely. And he's promised that uh, Jesus promised, I will build my church. And he is doing that all over the world. Um, at one time, we thought we were the center of Christianity in North America, but we have long lost that position. But it doesn't mean that the church isn't growing. It's growing like, you know, tremendously in, in the, what's called the global south. So we are living in very significant days. The Lord is coming soon. One of the encouraging things that I know you and I have had the privilege of traveling to other nations, but also the nations have come to Canada. I mean, just in the last week, I've had dinner with uh, a couple that uh, pastor a Pakistani church in uh, Mississauga, Ontario. Uh, another friend of mine pastors at Eritrean church, used to be part of Ethiopia, people not familiar, uh, in downtown Toronto, and and hearing their perspective and, and their understanding of the scripture and saying, what's going on here in Canada? And I said, you know, we need you here. Uh, we also need people to stay in the countries where they're ministering God's word. And that's why Open Doors and Voice of the Martyrs exist to, again, strengthen our brothers and sisters in Christ. So, Paul, thank you for sharing about uh, your friend, your colleague, mentor, somebody that's inspired you, inspired all of us, Andrew and uh, Brother Andrew. So thank you so much, Paul. You are very welcome. God bless you and your work. And if you'd like to contact Paul, uh, he is a great storyteller. We've had privilege of uh, sharing a few stages together and uh, yeah. a longtime fellowship. In fact, I believe that you were the guy in 1988 in Leduc, Alberta, with open doors, sharing about the persecuted church. And something I get emotional talking about it, Paul, but <laughs> something got into my heart about yeah. the persecuted church. And my wife said, you were never the same after that. And, and, and it was in a positive way. And then years yeah, later, uh, joining the Voice of the Martyrs and, and supported Open Doors for many years. So love what you guys do. And I know that Brother Andrew is now cheering us on from heaven. Amen. And uh, and if you'd like to find out more about Paul, this wonderful storyteller, bring him to your conference, bring him to your church and go to paulesterbrooks.com. I'll also put that web address on the show notes on this podcast. And so Paul, look forward to seeing you very soon. Thank you, Greg. God bless you, brother. And remember, the closer you are to Jesus, the closer you are to the fire. Mm -hmm.